0: Welcome everyone to the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Miguel, joined by Charlie and Haley as always. But today we have two special guests, Melissa and Alyssa. How are you guys doing today?
1: Good, how are you doing? (laughs)
0: Also, don't be afraid of like talking over each other. It's totally chill. It happens. There's five the time. people
1: here. It's bound yeah. to happen on this episode.
2: It happens with three people, quite honestly. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Melissa and I are too polite with each other. We need to just like butt in.
3: We always like look at each other through the cameras. Like, yeah. who, are you gonna say something? <laughs>
0: Which is, you know, arguably maybe a little more awkward than just talking over each other. So just just (laughs) talk over each other. Yeah,
3: that's that's very true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, the reason I had Alyssa and Melissa on today is because I wanted to talk about something called deliverability, which is something you may or may not have heard before. And we'll get into that, and into what it's about and why it's important. And we'll get into that in a little bit. And I'm excited to do that. But first, I want to start with our first segment, which is a little something we like to call, Have You Heard? And this is just kind of like something cool that we might have heard about the creator economy or just, you know, something going on in social media or something like that. And... Uh, Tying in to last week's one about Wordle, I think somebody here has an update on something going on with Wordle. I do, I do, I do.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Just wanted to show you guys what it was.
0: I wasn't sure who won the debate over who got to say it, but here we go. I guess it was Haley.
2: I also wanted to showcase that, you know, what talking over looks like. I thought I'd jump in there and give you guys a quick example. Just setting an example. Yeah. Well, here's the news. While we were at our retreat last week, Corey, one of my teammates goes, have you heard that Wordle was acquired? And in my mind, I was like, that's amazing. That's going to be my, have you heard? And then Charlie posted it in Slack and claimed it as her own. And then I took it. So, well, I mean, I think we've established here on the Future Belongs to Creators podcast that I am the Wordle
4: nerd. So, yes, you know, yes, I thought it was fair, but you, you go ahead, Haley,
2: share the news. (laughs) Okay. Here's the news. (laughs) Wordle was acquired by the New York Times for low seven figures. The number was not disclosed. And there really wasn't a lot of information about it, but basically, um, you know, it continued to serve the strategy of the New York Times. They are a paid subscription. The thing I thought that was most interesting about the article that the New York Times released um, was that it said that, and this is in reference to our conversation that we had or the last podcast, is It will remain free for Mm -hmm. current and future users for the time being, (laughs) specifically for the time being. (laughs) Yeah. So as we discussed all the various ways that it could be monetized, we'll see. We'll see how it ends up being monetized, if it ends up being monetized any differently outside of the subscription that you have to have to be a New York Times reader. So the jury's out. We'll see. But um, it was acquired. Low seven figures. I say congratulations to Josh Wardle for that one heck yeah and i think it's interesting that in our discussions in that last episode about ways that if we were
4: the creator how would we monetize this how would we like generate an income from it we never discussed an acquisition so i think that we were thinking clearly way too small and i like someone buying it for like several million dollars did not cross my mind so yeah Yeah. definitely props to josh
2: It did give a couple additional stats that I don't remember us having in that conversation, which was after 60 days, after two months, there were 300,000 people that were using it. And then it was several million, right? A few months later Mm -hmm. during the acquisition. But it went from 90 people right when it was launched to 300,000,
0: 60 days later.
2: And
4: then to several million.
2: Yeah. Yes. Big success. Yeah. That's nuts. I know.
0: Yeah, I was this close to suggesting that the the last week, guessing that the New York Times would buy it for several million dollars. And I just didn't say it.
2: Oh, sure, you were.
4: (laughs) It's on the tip of your tongue.
0: (laughs) Damn it, I should have said it. It was in my notes and everything. I'll show you later. (laughs) All right, well, uh, the next little bit of news, I'll go next. So I thought it was really cool that Apple is actually announcing that through the magic of a software update, they're going to allow tap-to-pay feature that basically will turn your iPhone into like a contactless payment terminal, which I thought was really, really cool. I mean, lots of people have iPhones and lots of people use, I don't know if you guys ever go to like local craft fairs and things like that. But a lot of the times as the merchants there will have some kind of like separate thing, that's not their phone, or sometimes like some sort of adapter, like a square card reader that you plug into the, Mm -hmm. to your phones, like a port or something like that. And that's how you read the cards or whatever. Well, those days are kind of going to be in the past because now a creator can simply just use their phone to collect payments, which is pretty, pretty, pretty sweet. I think they're partnering with Stripe and then eventually uh, Shopify is gonna get in on the game and then so on and so forth. So that'll be really, really cool for creators as a way to kind of monetize their business to just turn their phone into the thing that collects money. So pretty cool.
4: Yeah, one less tool you need to, to buy, right? That's cool. Yeah. My Have You Heard for the Week is kind of a self-serving one, but it's that Have You Heard, we are conducting a survey into the state of the creator economy, and I wanted to bring it up on this show because, like, anyone listening to the Future Belongs to Creators podcast needs to fill out this survey. Here we go. Miguel's got the link on screen. You can go to Convert. dot it slash survey (laughs) hyphen twenty twenty two. The link will be in the show notes for anyone listening to the audio version. Please take some time fill it out. It's a great chance to reflect on your business. We want to get thousands of creators filling this out so we can get a really comprehensive look at how creators do what they do, their lives, their work, their revenue streams, that sort of thing. And we're going to share it all back to everybody through a report that we publish in a few months' time. So, yeah. Please fill it out. Share it with your creative friends. Let's get as many people filling it out as possible. Thank you in advance.
0: All right. Two birds, with one stone. Have you heard? And a self-plug. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) That is it for our have you heard? So let's move on to the meat of the... of the thing here I apologize for saying that immediately uh, Anyways <laughs> Moving on <laughs> Let's get into it here What's another I want to talk about What's another Shut up Wait, what's another Don't say it <laughs> <laughs> By the way, we're very giggly today. Uh, we
4: are, If you, in case you didn't notice. Yeah, yeah
0: we're slap happy. Slap yeah. Happy.
4: <laughs> I feel like um, we didn't say at the top, Miguel, that why Alyssa and Melissa are the people that we've brought on for deliverability, aside from their names being so fun to say.
0: We chose them at complete <laughs> random, actually. But it just so happens that they work for us specifically in the deliverability field. And I will do a worse job than them, so... And I've talked way too much already. So <laughs> Alyssa, Melissa, please tell us what you do for ConvertKit and why you are so important to us.
1: Oh, sweet. Okay, I'll start. So we are the deliverability team. I have been doing deliverability for like five years now, which is crazy. And essentially <laughs> what we do is we help customers make sure their messages reach the inbox. And then part of that is also making sure that spammers don't try and use ConvertKit because we have to keep our reputation healthy for customers. So that's kind of a fun part too. We really wear lots of different hats to make it all work. Yeah. Melissa, tell us about you.
3: So I started doing deliverability uh, a couple years ago, but I will be with ConvertKit officially for a year in April, I think. So yeah, it's exciting. So yeah, I mean, my job is basically... Helping customers, kind of what Alyssa said, figuring out if they're having any issues with their deliverability, are their emails reaching the inbox besides like the customer facing part on the back end, a lot of like monitoring systems, making sure that things are working properly, being proactive and making sure that if there's something that needs our attention that we're on it right away and we're
2: dealing with stuff quickly. And y'all have your own podcast called deliverability defined, right? We do. Correct. What do you talk about on that? (laughs) Deliverability? No, wild guess. Yeah. (laughs) Good question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we actually, I think
1: season one, we started with like the deliverability basics, which was pretty easy to, you know, think of like what to talk about because we were starting from scratch. So that's a really good place to start if you're like, I don't really know much about deliverability, but I wanna learn more. Each episode is like a really foundational topic. Like what is a spam trap? What's a block list? What do these things do? And then as we started to get further along, we didn't wanna get too technical into deliverability stuff. So we kind of, each episode's a little different, but we get more into like creator, audience building, strategy, things like that. So in the latest season, we talk more about things like, how do you use a um, referral program to grow your list? or how should musicians use ConvertKit, more email marketing in general, things like that.
3: Alyssa and I could talk about the technical things all day. So we had to think outside the box and think, hmm, what would
2: people want to listen to us talk about? (laughs) (laughs) You might be surprised how much people want to hear the technical stuff too, though. (laughs) I love that. So I will say though, I am fairly confident that deliverability is one of ConvertKit's best strengths because of the work that y'all do. And Renee as well on our team. But I feel like people don't know exactly what it is, right? But it's one of the biggest value adds of ConvertKit because we have some of the highest deliverability rates across all of our competitors. And that is like a really not cool sounding thing until you know what it actually is, you know, and then you're like, oh, so if 20% of my emails don't get to the inbox, that's 20% of your customers that you don't have an opportunity to serve or your audience that you don't have an opportunity to serve. So it's a really important number. And when you have deliverability problems, it's like one of the worst possible situations to be in. And so when you know, like when you know that you need it, you know, or you know that what it is, then it's it can be a really important part of your business.
4: Maybe could we... Just talk briefly about the rates because i feel like the first time i learned about deliverability my reaction was oh my god i didn't know this was something i had to be worried about <laughs> you know and so maybe there's some creators listening right now who are like in a similar boat what is the deliverability rate that we have at convertkit so like so we know how widespread issues are i suppose and also how would a creator know if they had a deliverability problem like when should you worry about it
1: yeah that's a really good question I'll clear up one like definition first. And then, Melissa, since you recently just created our January report, you might have some numbers off the top of your head. <laughs> so deliverability rate is tricky. There's really no such thing as a deliverability rate because the word deliverability means the amount of messages that go to the inbox versus the spam folder. And mailbox providers like Gmail, Microsoft, Yahoo, they won't tell you where they place a message. So you just have no way to know, like how many of your messages go to the inbox or the spam folder. You kind of have to use other metrics to figure that out, which is what we do have. So we have a delivery rate, which is the percentage of emails that were delivered successfully and not bounced.
3: I have that number if you want to.
1: Tell us the number, Melissa.
3: 99.8%. <laughs> Oof,
1: that's high. Pretty <laughs> amazing, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> not to pat us on the back, but that's um, extremely high. I think that's considered an A+. Plus. Yes, <laughs> mm-hmm. very high. Um, and so what that means is only 0.02% of messages that we sent in, wait, 99.8%. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, you had it, you had it, you had it.
1: I did? Okay, sorry. I have a math major, but sometimes it's like, (laughs) it's gone. (laughs) Anyways, yeah, we have very minimal bounces, which means that mailbox providers like ConvertKit's reputation, and also we're keeping the customers that we allow to use ConvertKit very clean. We don't allow people to come in with these huge, really bad lists, which is important because it impacts all customers. Another uh, metric that we use to get some insight into deliverability is the open rates, which there's a lot of nuance there, especially lately with Apple changes, open rates are not super accurate, but still trends are really helpful. And overall views are really helpful. So Melissa, uh, tell us our, our global open rate.
2: Can I interrupt really quick first? Yeah. I wanna highlight what you said, which because I think it's also a really important differentiator between I don't want this to podcast to be like a pro-convert kit podcast, even though that's obviously what it is.
4: But wait, I do. Okay, okay, sorry, <laughs> pro-convert kit
2: podcast. But what you said was is that you don't allow certain customers or certain people to come on our platform, right, based off of their list and a bunch of inputs that go into that. And I wanna highlight that because what that basically really means is that we turn down money to ensure that the health of our list stays really high. And there's a lot of companies that don't do that, right? So they're saying, well, Mm -hmm. if you want to come and send emails out through, you know, you want to come and send emails out through our platform and you're willing to pay us, we're going to help you do that. And that affects our customers. And because that type of customer is often different than a creator. It's just one difference in how like we serve creators and we're built for creators and creators tend to have better list quality, right? Because their audience wants to be on it. Whereas direct response marketers, for example, you know, the way that they're acquiring people on their list is really unhealthy. But I just think it's important to note note that because it's a huge differentiator between us and our competitors. And I think it makes, I don't know, it just makes me feel cooler.
1: <laughs> no, that's such a good call out. I'm glad you said that because it's true. We turn down so much money like every day of people who want to pay us. And I think that's why it's really important that kit, we know who we're serving and we know who we want to serve. We don't, we're not trying to just take anyone's money because if we were, then all of our customers would feel that in their deliverability and their open rates mm-hmm. and things like that. So we're laser focused on serving creators and that means we do turn down money.
4: Now let's go to the global open rate, Melissa was going to say. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Maybe, does anyone want to guess?
0: Ooh. who I like
2: this.
3: Any guesses? Because it hasn't been published yet for January. So no one knows except for-
2: Global open rate. Global open rate. I know that it's not gonna be as high as growth currencies list. That's a really high open rate. You deserve applause for that. I just, I saw that and I was like, good on you. That must mean your content is fantastic. I would guess like 30, 29 to 31,
0: (laughs) I guess 31. (laughs) $1, Bob, (laughs) I think I'm gonna go with 29.
4: Okay. 29. All right, Charlie? At 35% was my guess. Now I'm feeling like it was too high. Charlie wins, it's 36%. <gasps> Whoa! What? Yeah. So it wasn't even high enough. Oof. That's amazing. Okay, cool.
2: Wow. <laughs> that was fun. Teddy, that's a very specific guess that you, you had on there. Teddy wow. guessed
0: 32.3%. <laughs> I've always thought Teddy might be a mole. I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe he's a robot, I'm not sure. That's nuts. So when I first started ConvertKit, I would answer like technical support tickets a lot. And oftentimes like we would congratulate uh, somebody for having, if you have an open rate, that's like in the high teens, low twenties, like you're doing better than most. And we would be like, nice job. So to see that some people are getting close to almost 50%, like that's nuts. So.
3: I remember those support tickets as well. (laughs) Yeah. I was also in there.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, people would write in and say, you know, I'm only getting 25% open rate. Why is it so low? I'm like, oh no, you're you're winning. You win.
4: <laughs> you win email. Yeah.
0: <laughs> can you tell me what you're doing so I can tell other people to do it? It's pretty crazy. But people have no frame of reference for these things. so That's why it's
4: great that you publish those reports, right? So that yeah. people can see yeah. how they stack up.
2: But it's also good to give a comparison too. Think about um, on social media, the number of people that actually see your posts, your content mm. posts compared to the 20, like the open rate of your email list which typically customers on your email list are bigger fans than casual social followers. So if you have a million people that follow you on on social media, right, and you're only getting 10%, you know, open rate, but your email is often much higher than that. So just note that
0: as well. That's something that I wanted to kind of talk to you ladies about is when somebody is uh, trying to figure out kind of how deliverability works. I always used to use the analogy of like an actual postal service, because it's it's the perfect kind of way to get people to understand how things work. So just because something would say it was delivered, it doesn't mean it was actually necessarily received or opened or anything like that. Delivered just means the mailman put the mail in the box with that number. Like, did someone open that mailbox? The last something else entirely. Did it actually make it to that mailbox? Or did the mailman just say that he did it? Like, there's always so many different things. So if somebody is trying to to navigate what these terms mean, is this something you guys go, I, I, I almost don't want you to do something or say something you've already covered in your own podcast. But for those people, just some very basic terminology, like, do you find it difficult to navigate those things? Like, what what advice would you have for somebody
4: trying to wrap their heads around it?
0: Yeah, exactly.
3: Melissa is so happy right now that you just <laughs> you just said that analogy so perfectly. I could see her like, yes,
1: yeah. <laughs> we use the post office or mailbox a lot too. Mm-hmm. But Melissa, you have great analogies. What do you think? Oh gosh.
3: <laughs> okay, so yeah, I would say like the mailman delivery analogy is really great because. Obviously, at email, it's happening so quickly. The conversation back and forth between ConvertKit and the receiver, you know, like the inbox or excuse me, the mailbox provider, like Gmail, for example. That conversation is happening so quickly that there's so many things that can actually happen in between that conversation that could cause an issue. So I think that's a great analogy. Another thing I would say. I don't know if we want to get too, I don't want to get like too in the weeds, but sender reputation is a very big part of um, that whole conversation. And what your sender reputation is, is how your emails are placed like based on that. So another analogy I use a lot is a credit score. So your sender reputation is very similar to a credit score. It's very easy to damage and not as easy to build back up again. So there are positive and negative signals that a sender can receive and, you know, for example, a positive signal might be Charlie, you replying to my email and saying something back hmm. to me, opening the email, clicking on the links. Those are all positive signals. A negative signal would be if, Miguel, you decided to mark my email as spam. So those are just a couple ways that your
2: sender reputation can change. As I often do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Rude. Yeah.
2: I love that you called that out because, you know back in the day when I used to like advise people, same thing on like, Oh, this is how you should use email or whatever. I always would tell people to write emails in a way that would encourage someone to respond back to it. And I always use the example. I was like, well, I was like, if Nordstrom sends you an anniversary sale email, you're, you never going to think like, Hey, thanks Nordstrom. I love the anniversary sale. (laughs) Thanks for thinking of me. (laughs) That's just not going to happen. But with the type of audience that we serve and typically the emails that are sent through ConvertKit, like that opportunity is open, right? So you could you could easily ask questions and engage back with your subscribers. Now, obviously, you're not going to reply back necessarily to all of them. That might be a little bit difficult. But encouraging them to reply with an answer, I um, mean, you can write your emails that way will definitely increase your deliverability. What are the other things that actually help? I'm just thinking of like the three, four things I used to tell people Encouraging someone to reply, having them put you in your contact, right? Yep. Asking them very explicitly to click a link versus just like having links, you know, like click this link, like basically telling them why you're doing it and then asking them to click the link. Like if you want to continue to hear from me, make sure you engage in this. If my emails are important to you kind of thing. What else? What are other like really tactical things that people can do to increase their deliverability?
1: One thing we've been talking about a lot in this season of... Deliverability defined is just those creative strategies to increase engagement. So basically, what you were saying about trying to get clicks. There are a lot of different ways you can encourage people to engage with your messages. So I think keeping those in mind, like, for example, adding a reaction at the bottom of your email. Yeah, we just started a Deliverability defined newsletter to plug something else for you. (laughs) You can sign up at deliverability.ck.page. But in each of those that we send out at the bottom, it says like, did you enjoy this newsletter? And there's a little heart for people to click. So it's just another way for them to engage with our messages. And I think a lot of people like to give that feedback. We also highlighted a newsletter that was doing something really cool. In this example, it was like, yes or BS. And they had Mm. in every single email, they had like a topic and then you could vote yes or BS. And (laughs) then in the next email that they send, they show you the results of like the percentages,
2: which one won. What was the topics? I'm so interested. What's yes or BS?
1: (laughs) Yeah. The one I'm referring to, actually a listener told us about this because they thought about it while listening to our podcast. It's like a news kind of newsletter. Mm. So I think some of the examples I saw were like the Olympics, is not as good this year or something, like <laughs> is overrated. I don't even know. And so people voted yes or BS or like they got into more hot topics and yours doesn't have to be necessarily yes or BS, but it can just be voting on a topic. Like with deliverability, we could have like a true or false section in our newsletter that's like, ooh, adding an emoji to your subject line, we'll send it to the
4: spam folder, true or false. Wait, is it true or false? What do you think? Mm, I want to say... Not all the time, but, like, that there's more chance of it going to spam? I I think it's false. Okay.
1: (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I should have asked you. What about you, Miguel?
0: (laughs) Well, Haley lives in a black and white world. Charlie lives in the gray area. I'm just... I'm just going to say what nobody else said, which is, (laughs) it is true.
1: True. (laughs) Okay. All right. It's kind of in between the gray and black and white. Son of a bitch. I would say if I had to pick one, (laughs) false. For the most part, no, one emoji isn't going to send your message to spam. But with deliverability, everything is an it depends. Every single subscriber's mailbox provider has a different rule. It certainly might send a message to spam for someone with like a university email address and their IT team hates (laughs) Things like that. So
4: <laughs> but for the most part, false. Can we roll back a, a little bit? Because I was gonna ask this and then we went on another great direction as well. But you said sender reputation, Melissa. And it got me thinking, like, is that me, the individual creator as the sender, or is it ConvertKit as the sender? Because you also mentioned, Alyssa, that like we keep spammers off the platform to help out all of the lists. Tell me how that works. Are we having a credit score for ourselves and then also like <laughs> I guess the bank? Are we responsible for that as well? (laughs) That's a very good question. Alyssa,
3: you're much better at explaining this than I am. So I'm giving it to you. (laughs) I disagree. I disagree, but
1: I'll take it. Both. So every, really, almost every part of the email carries its own reputation. However, the part that carries the most heavily weighted reputation is your Charlie or creator, whoever's listening. Or
4: my (laughs) reputation. (laughs) matters for everybody. Yeah.
1: (laughs) The sending domain that you see like in your mailbox when you open a message and it says this is from, you know, so-and-so at ConvertKit.com, for example, that ConvertKit.com is the domain reputation that's going to matter most, especially with providers like Gmail and Yahoo and things like that. However... Depending on your setup, usually ConvertKit's domain is also being used in the background or whatever other um, email service provider you might be using. And their reputation does matter a lot, too. So that's why you need to be really careful with the uh, ESP email service provider you use because they need to have a team of people like we have here who are stopping spam, working with customers, and making sure that their reputation is healthy However, typically that reputation isn't weighed as heavily as yours. So that's why a huge part of Melissa and I's job is educating senders on how to keep their reputation super healthy. And then one other part of the message that carries a reputation is actually the links that you use in your email those domains in every link carry a reputation. So Mm -hmm. for example, we say, do not use bit.ly links in your emails because it has a really bad reputation. Gmail will actually usually just bounce your message if it has a bit.ly link in it. So be really careful with the links you're using as well. Make sure they're trusted sources and they're not um, shared URLs that a ton of people are using.
4: Charlie, that was a really good question. I feel like I need to change some things because I'm sure (laughs) I've included some bit.ly links in my
2: emails. (laughs) Tell me about when, so by default, when someone joins a kit, they get, they don't have a custom domain. So when is, when does having a custom domain become something that like you should start thinking about? Like what are the differentiators between using our domain and having a custom domain? And when should someone say, that's probably a good choice for me?
3: There's a couple reasons that somebody would want to use a verified sending domain. A couple things first though. If you're not sending more than 50,000 messages a month and you don't have about a 20% open rate, we don't always recommend setting one up depending on the situation because if you're not sending enough volume, those mailbox providers may not recognize you as a sender because you're you're using your own domain in two places in the message instead of just one. And then using ConvertKit almost as like a cosigner, if you will. So that's kind of mm. one thing to consider. But also, with this is always where
2: we're like, I could be so technical, but I'm gonna try really hard not to be. I don't know. I'm kind of digging the technicalities. There's some people, and Jeff just keeps talking. That's why I asked that question, actually. Yeah, Jeff wants a season of um, deliverability defined that <laughs> is going into the technical details.
4: So maybe that okay. should be season, whatever you're up to next.
3: <laughs> well, okay, then I will get into this. So if you have a domain that has a strict DMARC record, there's three levels of DMARC. There's P equals none. P equals quarantine, and P equals reject. If you have one of the higher two tiers of DMARC, then you have to have a verified sending domain in order to authenticate your messages properly with ConvertKit. Um, and it's very easy. You can go to any DMARC record.
4: What is a DMARC record? Oh, here we go.
0: Here we go. How far does the rabbit hole go, Alice? It's
3: deep. <laughs> yeah, I'll just let you all decide what you want to ask and then we can go. No, I'm just kidding. DMARC is a an authentic part of authentication in your message and it helps protect your domain from being spoofed. Alyssa, do you want to go into further detail? Sure.
1: So basically a DMARC record ensures that a spammer can't send a message from your domain. Without DMARC, surprisingly, a lot of people don't know this. A spammer can just send an email and say, that they are eBay.com, for example, or whoever they want to be. But if that domain has a strict DMARC policy, the message, if your DMARC policy is P equals reject, like Melissa said, the message will bounce because they won't be able to authenticate the message properly. However, DMARC is very complicated and it's hard to implement. If you don't implement it correctly, then your legit messages will also bounce or go to the spam folder. So it's not something we necessarily recommend to like, the average creator who isn't super worried about getting spoofed by a spammer. But if you do want to set it up, you know, it's definitely great for security purposes. And if you feel confident in implementing it yourself, go right ahead. But you do have to have a verified sending domain in ConvertKit, like Melissa said. And... Whether or not you do have a DMARC record in place, well, let's say you don't have a DMARC record, but you're trying to decide should I set up a verified sending domain? Basically, piggybacking off everything Melissa said, but one kind of like deciding short way to sum it up is is your sender reputation good enough to carry itself on its own? Mm. And mm-hmm. The thing is we see some senders do better by actually piggybacking off ConvertKit's reputation and using us to help them get in the door because maybe their open rates are like less than 20% or they just don't send really consistency or enough volume. But for a lot of people like Dylan with 50% open rate, like he is probably great on his own. He can probably carry his own reputation. So if you have a really great open rate, I would say 30% plus is extra great for this. And if you send on a frequent enough cadence, volume can vary. I would say a verified sending domain is a great option for you.
0: So if I understand correctly, it's kind of like if I'm gonna go ship a package at the post office, no no one's (laughs) gonna necessarily trust that I just wrote the right return address, right? It's like at that point, they're like, I wanna see your ID and make sure that the the sending address is actually the person who's dropping off the package. Otherwise this package is BS and we're not sending it for you. Is it kind of like that?
1: That is good. Yeah, I think that's a really good analogy. It would be like if you went to the post office and you tried to use the sending, you know, Miguel, you tried to use your address and they like looked at a book and were like, ooh, in order to use this address, we have to actually check your ID. That's like having DMARC. That's awesome. But most people on the Internet don't have that set up. So the post office wouldn't check. They would be like, OK, Sure.
0: Right. Because if I'm not if I don't have enough volume, like you said, if I only if I send 50,000 packages a week. OK, that's one thing. If I send one package to my grandma every three months or whatever, <laughs> like they're going to be like, yeah, you're cool. It's fine. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, you're
4: cool. <laughs> I wonder if a good um, marker for like when creators should start thinking about this is I know that's, that that spoofing accounts is a real big problem on Instagram and YouTube, for example. So maybe if you're a creator who is finding that, you know, you've got a lot of subscribers on YouTube, a lot of followers on Instagram, and people are making an account using your name or like something similar to it to try and trick your followers into clicking a link, buying some Bitcoin, whatever, maybe that's a good like time to start thinking about it because you could be at the level where someone could try and spoof you.
1: Yeah, I would say a couple signs you're being spoofed is if you're starting to receive emails from people saying like unsubscribe or I didn't sign up for this or, you know, and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't send you anything. You're not on my email list. (laughs) That's a good sign that there's some mail going out from your domain that you didn't authorize. Or if you're starting to get a bunch of like automated out of office replies at your address and you never sent anything, that's another one we've seen that will happen to people getting spoofed. Mm
0: -hmm. And I want to highlight a question from Jeff in the chat here. He was talking about this, he's saying, is this similar to credit score where having no sender reputation is not super ideal, hence the benefit of piggybacking off of ConvertKit?
3: That is such a good question. And yes, that is very true. We do see that. And having no reputation essentially just means that those email email box providers don't trust you yet. And so you need to build up to that.
1: Yeah, and in that case, you would not want to use the verified sending domain. Mm -hmm. Like you were um, saying, it would hurt you and it would help you to piggyback off ConvertKit instead.
4: I feel like we've given a lot of information here. And I wonder if... um... Is there like one piece of advice you would give to creators who maybe this is the first time they're hearing about deliverability so like i'll say for you a piece of advice go listen to deliverability to find especially the first season to dig in more but to stop them feeling like overwhelmed or like stressed about all the things they could pay attention to what's the number one thing that a creator could do to improve their chances and improve improve their deliverability
3: I would say keep a clean list. So if you have never, you know, run any kind of cold subscriber re-engagement, if you've never cleaned your list before, that's a really good place to start. You just want to make sure that you're sending to the people on your list who are most engaged. And if you aren't, that can sometimes negatively impact your sender reputation. If people are not engaging with your emails, um, mailbox providers can see that and it will affect where your emails are placed. So that's just a great that's an easy step. You don't have to stress about it. You don't have to like go into a bunch of data necessarily. You can just go set up a re-engagement campaign. And we have an automation already that if you're a ConvertKit user, you can just put that right into your account and edit the emails to fit your brand.
0: It's a really emotional thing because that number of subscribers that you have on your list is oftentimes tied to your success as a creator. How many people took the time to give me an email email address is the amount of people that I can say care about what I'm doing. So a lot of the times it's really hard for us to say, oh, well, just wipe your list clean and like kill like half of those addresses right off of your list. And they're like, mm-hmm. but I worked really hard for these email addresses. But what I would always say to that is it's not so much about the quantity of addresses, but the quality of the people mm-hmm. who are responding mm-hmm. to what you're doing. And that's what gets those per- those people with high percentages are probably people who keep a really clean list. Because if you just keep everything that comes at you, a lot of that is just going to be Mm -hmm. dummy addresses or people that maybe don't necessarily always click on stuff. So it's always about definitely making sure that you do that. But I know that can be really hard for a creator because, you know, that's in their mind. Oh, that's one less possibility of some of reaching somebody. Yeah. But you kind of have to retrain your brain a little bit.
2: Yeah. How often um, should someone do that? Do you say once a quarter, once every six months, once a month? I think it depends on your list and your audience, which I hate saying that
3: because I feel like that's deliverability in general. We're always like, it depends, but... (laughs) Alternate
4: name for deliverability defined. It depends. (laughs) Yeah.
3: I mean, at least every six months would be a good gauge for it to at least be able to say, like I've done it and I'm keeping an eye on my list. Re-engagement also, like Miguel said, yes, it will be difficult sometimes to get rid of people, but it also helps make sure that you're... You know, you don't have like a lot of bot signups and like you're getting rid of actual addresses that have no intention of ever being like active with you as a sender. So, yeah, I would say every every six months, generally speaking,
2: which not to say like not to say that doing this is going to make you pay less. You don't need to be paying for subscribers that you don't actually engage with your list. That aren't interested in receiving your emails. Yeah. 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 Because that's how most email companies, right? That's how their pay scale looks like. You pay based off of the number of subscribers you have.
4: You're going to feel better about paying for your email account if you know you're sending it to all the people who, uh, all the people you're paying for are people who want to be receiving. Yes. That's right. We actually just recorded a whole podcast episode about this called How to
1: Clean Your Email List. Perfect. I believe it's coming out within the next couple of weeks. So go ahead and just subscribe now so that you don't forget and it'll pop up on your phone automatically. But we go into all the details about like how often, who should you be cleaning out? What should you be sending to them? How do you do it? So we cover it all there.
0: Cool. Awesome. And that can be found on Delivery Defined, also known as It Depends. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) a nice little final plug there for you ladies. Thank you for coming on the show. We do want to wrap things up with uh, another segment though. And that is for, we like to reward the people who show up here live um, and we like to do listener shout outs for them. And then, uh, so today it is somebody named... I'm so sorry if I'm not saying the name right. Her name is Laura. Her last name is Vanagate, I believe. And what they create is they they do illustrations and they work on branding design. So, and uh, we have them share a recent win. And she said that illustrations that, that she did were shared by influencers and was able to gain more attention from potential clients. So We just wanted to shout that out. And if you want to check out more of her stuff, you can go to Instagram and she's at laura.vanagate. That's V-A-N-A-G-A-I-T-E. For those of you who can't see the banner right now because you're not here live, but I encourage everyone to come live so we can say, so we can shout you out and tell people about the stuff that you're doing and celebrate that here live. Yeah. And then next week's topic is actually, uh, who's hosting that one? Is it Charlie?
4: is me. We're going to have Justin Moron. And Justin is a, I think, I believe his title is like a brand sponsorships coach, but whatever. He shares amazingly useful information for creators on landing brand sponsorships, brand deals, and what to charge for them and all that. So he's going to come on and share his expertise in that area. So definitely come along and join the live chat at uh, 12.30 Eastern is is our time, right? I'm only thinking in my Spanish time zone at the moment.
0: No, you are correct. But come
4: join us. <laughs> come join us and ask <laughs> your questions because Justin will be here to help you out Um, and, yeah, get creators paid.
0: Awesome, yeah. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you again, uh, Melissa and Alyssa, for coming here and nerding out with us. Uh, It sounds like you gained a couple of uh, extra fans on your podcast, so pretty cool.
1: Thanks for having us. Yes, this was so fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, come back anytime and uh, maybe one of us will be on your podcast someday soon.
4: I think Miguel's inviting himself. (laughs) Come on over. I know. How
0: come we haven't been invited? (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you so much and uh, have a nice rest of your week. Adios.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you wanna join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern.
4: This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com slash free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creative journey.